Representing the Waking to Feminist movement this afternoon are speakers Leanne Bell, Lachlan Deegan, and Eleanor Methvin. Please welcome them. Um, since uh, Fiek just did a good introduction, I'll skip my little introduction. Um, and what I'd like to do first is to get a flavour of the public meeting that was held here in uh, last November. Uh, we have a very short video made by the Irish Times, so if we could just play that straight away, that would be great. come for everybody to look and examine and ask the question, why is it that so many women artists, creative women in the theatre, feel marginalised and excluded? I hope that it will spark a lot of conversations and a lot of organisations looking to the way they practice and changing the way they practice. I hope it's the start of that. An amazing buzz, isn't there? Like, and some incredible women here, like the faces, there's just really, really wonderful people we've all been having in private and smaller sectors trying to make smaller change and now finally it's reached a very big public forum and I think there's a lot of exciting things to come. Yeah, and just supporting women in theatre and women in the industry in general and uh, it's just amazing when everybody comes together you realise that uh, the kind of strength that's here. A great result today will be equal access to storytelling in all our theatres and that's what's going to happen because everybody wants it. It's the right time now. I have never been directed by a woman in 27 years. I have done one play by a woman, a French woman, that was adapted by a man. Other than that, zero. I have never worked with a female sound designer. I have worked with one lighting designer that was female. I have worked with one lighting technician. No sound technicians, ever. I have worked on so many productions. Once I've worked with a male stage manager. Other than that, they're all female. Their statistics, they're just bald facts. How much talent have we lost to chauvinism? How much talent have we lost to sexism? Why were we offered a debate? Why aren't we being offered an apology? Because if any, any institution, let alone a national theatre, something that's funded by the public, anything was, was, anyone, was homophobic or racist, they'd be shot down, but sexism is still being considered a petty crime. We call on the Abbey as our national theatre to lead the way in establishing equality for women artists. Our three campaign objectives are a sustained policy for inclusion, with an action plan and measurable results, equal championing and advancement of women artists, and economic parity for all working in the theatre. Thank you.
As Donna Dent says in the video, there is no debate. Women theatre makers have not had their work platformed and championed at our national theatre to the same extent that male theatre makers have, ever. Despite the quality of their work being borne out by their successes outside of this building and outside of the country. It's not the first time that this theatre's 111 years of sexist programming has been called out, but Waking the Feminists is committed to ensuring that it is the last. The board and director of the Abbey publicly committed to programming more work by women artists later this year and to putting gender balance policy in place for the future. We will all be holding them to that. But the marginalization of women artists isn't, of course, exclusive to the Abbey. Waking the Feminists have begun meeting with the boards and directors of other key theatre organisations, and next week we will have a first meeting at the Arts Council to make sure gender equality is implemented at a policy level so that the change is systemic and long-term. Those of us working as Waking the Feminists have committed to the campaign for one year with a look back this November on what has been achieved. On March the 8th, International Women's Day, we will have a second public meeting at lunchtime in Liberty Hall. We're doing this in our spare time, and we're learning as we go. We're trying to keep the structure of the group as open and egalitarian as possible, and rely on people to self-select for certain tasks. It means each of us taking personal responsibility for the things we feel passionate about and have the skills for. We're listening to each other and playing to our strengths. We're rising to the challenge with glee. I wanted to give you today a sense of the multiplicity of the voices that have been part of the Waking the Feminists discourse. For that reason, both Eleanor Methven and Lachlan Deegan are with me here. They will each talk briefly and I'll join again at the end. Firstly, Eleanor. Good afternoon. Uh, there will be a slight subliminal message fired up during this, so pay attention and see if you can spot what it is, okay? This month marks 38 years of my working in the Irish theatre sector. Makes a girl think. In 1978, when I began my career, workplace discrimination and equal pay were hot topics. I remember an early conversation with another female colleague, wherein we agreed that as feminists we were very lucky to be actresses, as there was at least in our line of work no chance that a man would ever be given a job that we were qualified for in preference to us simply because he was a man. Our job, after all, was gender specific. Also, in the North in the late 70s, under a British, old British Labour government, with full union recognition in our sector, we knew the men in the company, at our same level of experience, were being paid exactly what we were. So that's all right then. Oh, foolish virgins. The men didn't want our jobs, our rules. Theirs were bigger and much more interesting. Except when, of course, every now and again, it was thought a jolly wheeze to do all-male productions of anything from Shakespeare to Wilde. They got paid the same weekly wage, yeah, but they got it paid for a great many more weeks in a year than we did. I'm glad to say it didn't take long for me to wake the fuck up. What to do about it was another thing. By 1982, it became blindingly obvious. The new artistic director of The Lyric, which was then the major employer in Belfast, 
programmed a season in which there were, even by the standards of that time, shockingly few and small roles for women, and he imported English actresses to play what roles there were, even the Irish ones. When 33 years ago we voiced our hurt, anger, frustration, the reaction was pretty much, well, them's the bricks. And of course, as artists' jobs rely on being judged on talent, it is always possible to attempt to silence us with, maybe you're just not good enough, dear. When preparing this, I googled that AD's name in the context of the Lyric Theatre, just to be sure of my dates. And I was taken to a page referencing the late, much lamented Stuart Parker's play, Northern Star, which was originally commissioned at Stuart's instigation by that institution in that year. Such serendipity. I am about to start work on a production of it with Rough Magic this spring. That's not the subliminal message, it's just advertising. <laughs> the first sentence my eye rested on, I kid you not, was, the first stage direction informs us that the play is set in, quotes, Ireland, comma, the continuous past. 33 years ago, we were told to suck it up and we spat it out. Five of us formed a theatre company, foregrounding roles for women written by women giving voice to the voiceless, working class northern women in a heavy militarised society. We framed the company and the work to suit ourselves. A non-hierarchical collective, collaborative working practice, female gaze. We defined ourselves, creatively empowered ourselves, just as the men who ran the mainstream theatres have empowered themselves, reflected themselves, just as the traditional funding bodies, then in our case, Belfast City Council and the Arts Council of Northern Ireland, were also made up of men whose gaze was reflected in traditional theatre models and subject matter, but we didn't fit the male funder's idea of a play. Our manner of writing and the choices we made were alien to them. The subject matter, the perspective, different to theirs, therefore not to be valued, rewarded financially, in the same way as, for example, Field Day. The very practice for which Charabang was celebrated, which made us unique, was the area of our work which they wouldn't recognise with funding. For years, only when we were in immediate pre-production and actual performance were we able to pay ourselves. That's exhausting. I can't think of a better illustration to this problem of the power perspective than that given by playwright Joanna Anderson on the, Women, the Waking the Feminists website about a review she received. And whilst the reviewer didn't fault the writing, they, quote, just didn't want to sit through another story about a middle-aged woman and her problems. As Joanna says, no one says this about plays about middle-aged men. In fact, no one calls them plays about middle-aged men. They are about the human condition. <laughs> I know what you mean, Joanna. The Gili concert, or quietly, or the weir, middle-aged men and their problems. I am beyond exhaustion to have to stand here reiterating things I said over 30 years ago. I do not want Leon to be in my position in another 30, and Waking the Feminists have made a great start. Ireland has always been a cold house for its daughters on all fronts. Subliminal message coming up, hang on. <laughs> there are many things I wish to see happening in 2016. But this today is about theatre, our national storytelling, 
and women's representation in it. I think there's a danger that the newly foregrounded role of women in the rising is more about fresh marketing than anything else. Change a marathon to a Snickers, but keep the same copywriters to sell it. Men in the arts in positions of power, and that means follow the money, have been getting away for years with lip service to feminism. They have had the luxury of living in the continuous past, whereas women have been asked to put up with the continual. And that seems like a good place to hand over to you, Lachlan. Thank you. Thank you, Eleanor. I'm almost nervous. Um, it was another actress uh, committed to gender equality, Patricia Arquette, who reminded us recently that when men support change, it usually comes ten times faster. My name is Lachlan Deegan. I am a theatre producer. And like most men working in Irish theatre, I have always, somewhat casually, considered myself a feminist. I grew up with three sisters, was taught by nuns, and as a young gay man became personally aware of the endemic inequalities that are hardwired into Irish society. For me, feminism was always a no-brainer. I didn't need to think much about it. Besides, one of the reasons I was so attracted to working professionally in the theatre was because it is an industry that prides itself on being liberal and progressive, and that believes on a good day we can actually change the world. And in the early 1990s, at the start of my career, Irish theatre, as it remains today, was largely run by women. Until I became the boss myself, all of my bosses were women. Women like Jane Daly, Katie Verling and Mary Call, Lynn Parker, Siobhan Burke and Deborah Aidan, brilliant women, generous women. Women who made space for many voices, including that of a naive and passionate young man who had lots of opinions on what theatre we should be producing and how we should be producing it. Those women encouraged me, they mentored me and supported me all the way through my career. That is, until I got to the top of my profession when I suddenly looked around and I wondered where all the women had gone. This was borne out by recent uh, research presented by Trina Nigwiver to last year's Theatre Forum conference in Sligo, which showed that, almost, uh, that although almost 60% of all Irish arts organisations are run by women, when you follow the money, as Eleanor said, you discover that men control the vast majority of the resources because they dominate the larger, better funded institutions. This uh, is, I believe, why we have a gender equality problem. It is all about power and money which means it's mostly about men. Or more accurately, when it comes to our major theatrical institutions, usually one. I've come to refer to it as the myth of the great man, the revered one whose taste and judgment exists at such an elevated level that he is incapable of answering his own phone. <laughs> Who, like the Wizard of Oz, requires an army of young, always female PAs and assistants to help maintain the myth. I met many classic examples when travelling for Dublin Theatre Festival. Russia probably invented the genre, their men still wear capes to work. In the UK he is invariably an Oxbridge graduate and in Germany when a great man retires all of the staff of the theatre have to go with him in order to allow the incoming great man to establish his own court. 
Clo that's true. Hundreds and hundreds of people tender their, their resignations. Closer to home, we have always had great, me great uh, men at the top of Irish theatre. The Abbey has had only two female directors in its 111-year history, not counting Lady Gregory, of course, who always played second fiddle to Mr Yeats, surely the archetype. And of course, there is a particularly fine example in situ up the road for over 30 years. And, and Dublin Theatre Festival, which I myself ran for over five years, has shamefully never had a female director in its 59-year history. And although I'm being somewhat facetious, I do believe that in contrast to the independent theatre sector, patriarchal hierarchies have been embedded in our leading theatre institutions since their foundation. And this must change if we are to make real progress towards gender equality in Irish theatre. Changing the culture of a large organisation takes time, but it has to start somewhere. And in the context of who leads our biggest organisation, organisations, that needs to start with the composition of boards and recruitment panels. Like all of us, the captains of industry and the professions who make up the majority of our theatre boards suffer from unconscious bias. When selecting a new artistic director or chief executive, the person they want to see walking into the room looks a whole lot like them. He looks like a great man. Everybody in Irish theatre, particularly of, of, of men, have been checking ourselves, to quote the great Dr. Panty Bliss speaking on this very stage, since our awareness was raised by Waking the Feminists. When a brilliant female friend and colleague wrote eloquently online about the despair she felt uh, on walking into an interview for a top job in Irish theatre only to be greeted by a panel comprising five middle-aged white men, something shifted in me personally. Until that moment, I believed that everything I had achieved in my own career had been achieved solely on the basis of merit. When it comes to the big jobs in Irish theatre, I no longer believe that to be true. We have given lip service to gender balance on boards and interview panels for too long. If we are serious about fixing this, we need to catch up with other industries, acknowledge that we all suffer from unconscious bias and think seriously about bias training. Because we, have a, we all have a lot to learn. Personally, this somewhat casual feminist has been on a very steep learning curve since my involvement with Waking the Feminists. One of the most important things I have learned is that feminist is not, feminism is not just about the belief that women should have equal rights and opportunities. That's the no-brainer bit. But that crucially, in order for that to happen, we have to acknowledge that the systems themselves are patriarchal, and therefore the systems need to change. Hierarchical systems create the conditions that allow the great man, or indeed the very rare great woman, to thrive. And in a theatrical context, that means that one person, usually a man, has all the decision-making power about whose stories are told and who gets to tell them. It is our taste and our bias, unconscious or otherwise, that determines what work is presented on this and all our main stages. My other great learning was courtesy of Lucy Kerbel of Tonic Theatre, when she said, also on this stage on November 12th, that we don't just need more women running our, national, our theatrical, theatrical institutions, what we need are more feminists. And this is where I believe the real opportunity for change exists. Feminists running theatrical organisations get to change the artistic decision-making systems within those organisations. We need to move beyond the flawed idea of the great man. We need to broaden out the artistic leadership of our theatres beyond one person's vision. We need diversity at the most senior levels of our arts organisations. We need creative and lateral as opposed to hierarchical thinking that encourages debate and allows diverse voices to feed into programming decisions. 
And it is only very recently that I realized that there is nothing new about this thinking. This is feminist thinking. And finally, what motivates me as a man to be here today is my position as director of the Lear Academy at Trinity College. At the Lear each year, we work hard to find the most talented students who are deserving of the training we have to offer. And as with the independent theatre sector, I'm very happy to tell you that there is no shortage of female talent presenting itself. In our first five years, women have comprised 57% of the total student population, rising to as high as 69% on our playwriting programme. And what these young women need in order for their voices to be heard on this hallowed stage and every other stage is for all of us men in positions of power and influence, all of us men who are passionate about Irish theatre, all of us men who are liberal and progressive and who control the money, to seize this opportunity to continue to check ourselves and our thinking and our work practices and our biases and commit ourselves to simply accelerating change in time for this generation of women artists. Because equality will come. And to quote my colleague Sarah Durkin, also speaking from this stage in November, only two months ago, women working in Irish theatre are not asking for change, they are demanding it. Thank you. What I have been most proud of in these past months is seeing my peers and colleagues changing around me, women and men. I hear a new strength in their voices when they talk about sexism that makes me think something fundamental has shifted. Somewhere inside them, inside us, a new space has opened up in a way that I honestly think is going to help us improve our society. Maybe that shows me up to be a little naive and earnest and optimistic. Feminism for me is about reimagining what our society could be if the, if the attitudes and systems in place were built to be inclusive of everybody equally and working to make those changes a reality at a personal level and in the environment around us. I'd like to make it clear that when I say equality for women in theatre, I do mean equality for all women, not just the ones that look and sound like me. We know that there is a shameful lack of diversity in the sector. We also know how life-enhancing theatre can be, both as audience members and as theatre makers. That's why we're here. If we are smart as a sector, we will use this opportunity to ensure our theatres are more open to everyone, using the battering ram of feminism to break the door down. Apart from anything else, we'll end up with better theatre. The unity that has been demonstrated by the theatre sector in, is resonating elsewhere. We've been contacted by women cheering us on from the visual arts, business, the media, politics, medicine, academia, the tech world, the defence forces, film and television, to name a few. While our campaign is focusing on theatre, I optimistically think that 2016 can be a year of seismic change for women in our country if we, men and women, continue to join our feminist voices together across sectors and across all areas of society. So to wrap up, it's a big job. For the next year, Waking the Feminists are going to be focusing on change at a macro level, at the level of policy, of power, and of money. But if we, if you, also look at addressing inequality at a micro level, at the level of personal duty and responsibility, of self-selecting to do the things that you can do, my naive and earnest and optimistic self says, it doesn't seem that hard, does it? Thank you.